Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I train people on how to teach breathwork as well. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hangups, where we're going to help you change your life. We're going to show you how to transform your life with different tools. That's right. I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork. It changed my life. I have struggled with anxiety and depression throughout my life, and I've gotten through it. This is a solution-based show. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Good songs, like so many just amazing, amazing songs. And they just- Yeah, they were like the first like band band I got into. I guess them and Queen. Like those are the, those are the best two classic rock bands. But they're both so fucking talented. It's not just like guys playing. I mean, they're, the level of like the talent in those bands is unreal, right? Yeah, Townsend. Townsend has had some ups and downs in his life, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. How you doing, you good? Did you save your coffee for this podcast, your coffee time? I got my coffee time right here, buddy. I'm having, I'm having a Mexi Coke. I love the real sugar, the real yeah. sugar Coke. I you know, did, I tell you what, did I tell you what my son's doing, talking about the Grateful Dead? My son has been, what? When, we, when we scan like all the Sirius XM stations, uh-huh. we got to the Grateful Dead station and I'm like, <laughs> no. And I'm like, I quickly, he heard me like, like freak out so he went back to the grateful dead station hit favorites oh. hit like and oh. then wouldn't let me touch because i'm driving he wouldn't let me touch the stereo and he's searching on my car for grateful dead and he likes every single grateful dead song that comes up he liked about 45 50 of them so every time i go in my car it thinks that that's what I want to hear. So it just automatically plays the fucking Grateful Dead. And what's the other song? Um, uh, there's another song that was played in this restaurant. It was the, the longest note held in the history of music at the time in like the 70s. It's like, it's a great day. Do you know the song I'm talking about? It's a no, no, but day. do you know what the longest song is in, in his music history? It's uh, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. What is that? It's by Gordon Lightfoot. It's just a song that's like 28 minutes long. It's How about a boat. How do you know that? How do you know, about, how do you know this information? I don't know. I have a ton of useless fucking information in my head. I mean, I look at it. I've been a music fan since I was a kid. I hung out with all musicians. I had long hair. That was my world growing up. I played guitar a little bit, but I never just, I never dove deep into it. I should have. Should have become a singer, but that's a whole other story. But... <laughs> Gordon um, Lightfoot? Gordon Lightfoot. I think the new Dylan album, though, that came out, he has that number one hit with his new thing. And I think that might beat it now. I think that's like 40 minutes long. I tried to listen to it. I got four minutes in and I was like, I'm not having this. How can this be number one? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, I'm watching YouTube shit. I'm watching, I'm learning, I, like, I'm making fucking pizza dough. That's what I'm doing now. I watched like four episodes of pizza dough last night and then I passed out at 8.30 at night. And I got up at like six this morning. So I had a lot of sleep. That's Good great, night. man. I woke up at eight. I can't, I couldn't believe it. I slept for eight hours, which is I think a world record for me. I slept for nine and a half. That is for sure the world record for me. I usually get five or six hours sleep. I usually go to bed at 10 and get up at four. So yeah, my kids are sleeping like 12 hours. I've only seen them like, I don't know, two minutes today. I went in there. I made them, I made them pancakes. I gave them their pancakes and they're just in school doing their school thing. They don't want any of their kids to see, any of the classmates to see me. So I walk in with the pancakes and they're like, 
dad, get out. I want to go in there like naked and just be like, what the fuck, man? So they have a punk rock star dad and they don't want their friends to see their punk rock star dad on their school Zoom. No. Hey, Alex, how you doing, What's buddy? What's up? How are you guys? Hey, Alex. Um, we're, we're great. Is it, is it okay if we record from here on out? Yeah. I've, I've done a couple podcasts now and it's like, I'm learning. I'm learning the like the things you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. So John Paul, um, John Paul taught me breathwork meditation and he came, he's come out in the road with Goldfinger a bunch as sort of like uh, tour manager slash sober buddy or whatever you I was a trainer back then personal trainer back in those days remember we were boxing and doing all that kind of stuff uh and then I found this breathwork technique about eight years ago that changed my life and it changed me as a person and then people were like what are you doing you're like you're not as angry Hmm. (laughs) so I started showing people and I taught Feldy the technique and it's like this you know thing you lay on the floor and you breathe in a certain way and it clears out all the anger and all the stress and all the anxiety out of your nervous system that's incredible when you tell people that like they're like they don't they can't wrap their brain around it because it's like well i've been breathing my whole life how is this thing i'm going to lay on the floor <laughs> and breathe in a certain way and it's going to do all that right right and until they do it they don't get it but i was doing some research on you uh, and i found this really cool quote and i was like that's rad and it says breathe Remember, it's just chemicals. And you're talking about anxiety and panic attacks. Yes, yes. Um, Go ahead. I would, I would say that came from a place of, of uh, it's sort of something I was telling myself in the moment. I think um, social media has always sort of been a sounding board for me. You know, and I, I think over time, as I've learned the ins and outs of, of social media and as it's evolved over time, um, you know, I... I choose more wisely when I put some of those things out there and how I put them out there. But I think that was a pretty raw moment where it was an actual, like I was feeling pretty vulnerable and I, I was, I think I was struggling with some anxiety and, and whatnot at the time. And um, I, it was kind of something that I sort of inwardly told myself in that moment of uh, to try and help kind of talk myself down a little bit. Um, and then I, I thought that just that quick sort of sentiment was, was simple enough to be easily absorbed you know, and I just kind of like put it out there into the world with hope that maybe it would, uh, a few people might find some catharsis in it. Um, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's amazing because, you know, I tell people all the time that you have a breathing pattern when you start to feel anxiety or you have a breathing pattern when you feel depressed or any of these raw emotions, when you feel angry, you have a breathing pattern. If you can change your breathing pattern, you can change the emotion. And if you can change the emotion, you can start to change your life. And I think you getting raw and real and like the, one of the themes of this podcast and the reason Feldy and I wanted to do it was to help people, you know, to show, to show people like, look, we all struggle. We all struggle with anxiety or depression or anger or whatever. And here's what we're doing to deal with it. Like, and, and that's human experience and how do you handle it? Right, Feldy? Have you, Hey Alex, have you ever done, I just have a story about John Paul, but you ever done one of those back in the day when they threw you on these, festivals when you're opening for like the exploited or megadeth have you ever had to do those kind of european oh yeah oh yeah we have done a good handful of shows like that i have two like very distinct memories there was one i think it was maybe disturbed was one of the headliners and corn um it was awesome the show was rad but i mean we had really no place being on that main stage um and I think we played, you know, we played at like, is it okay time slot, like 3.40 or 4 o'clock, something like that. Like people were showing up, people were into it. We had a big crowd, but we came out and started playing our like, you know, happy, jumpy, fast punk rock music. And people were like, what in the world? And we're like, in, it's like Sweden or somewhere where these, everybody wanted like some chuggy, heavy, you know, riffy music. And uh, we ended up having a great time. I think um, by the end of it, we actually had the crowd like sort of, responding well to us um so that one didn't go so bad we didn't get bottled fortunately but there was another one where we it was a very similar kind of festival and for whatever reason our our uh booking agent put us on it and our time slot was 1 30 a.m or 2 30 a.m or something like that it was insane um and i think it was like one of those ones that gets peppered into sort of like fill a day so you're not breaking the bank with your tour bus in europe and stuff um and we you know we showed up and we did it but it was like you know how those festivals are. You, you, you park in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere and you sit all day uh, in the heat. And so after a full day of doing that 
and then being asked to like, all right, set up, go play. It's three in the morning. <laughs> we were like, I, there were maybe four people watching in the tent. It was, it was so like, that was a serious, like, uh, very humbling experience. Cause I believe we had just come from doing like, we had had a really sick lot, like time slot on, um, Reading and Leeds Fest in the UK, you know, played for 50,000 people. And then a few days later we were 3 AM in a tent playing for five or six people. And it was like, Oh, that's a different, that's a different vibe altogether. But Hey, it keeps you, uh, <laughs> keeps you on your toes. Yeah. We had to do, uh, I was talking to John Paul last week and we were, we were talking about the show that we had to play in Switzerland opening for the Misfits. Oh, and don't it was talk like about right where I beat Mis up that guy. Yeah, right when we got back from, like, it was like right when they got their reunion thing back and we, and we played it like one in the morning and they yep. played it three. It was one of those fucking festivals. So people were in the sun all day, like you just talked about, yep. super wasted, you know? And people in Europe, like festivals in Europe are so different than in the States, man. It's like people take their drinking so serious. Like I remember seeing a dude once passed out at the at the Reading Festival. He had he had duct taped a twelve pack of beer around his leg because he he knew he was going to pass <laughs> out and he didn't want anyone to take it. So I just saw this dude passed out on the floor with a twelve pack taped to his fucking leg. He had a moment this, of clarity. <laughs> and uh, you know, consistent. Um, what, what I want to ask you, Alex, is I, I was thinking about just touring a lot because none of us can tour right now because of Corona. Um, yeah. Have you had to cancel tours? Uh, we, yeah, I mean, we were supposed to go out with the five seconds boys, uh, this month, um, in Europe, obviously that's, I, I, I don't know if the official word is out yet, but we can break the news here. I mean, it's not happening. Um, the, uh, we we're still waiting to hear about our summer tour. We have a summer festival booked. Um, officially nothing has been changed yet, but again, it's so fluid and everything is shifting at all times. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know, but it's, it's, looking more and more like the year is going to be pretty heavily affected by this. So yeah, I mean, like you said, we're sort of all in a very strange spot as touring artists. Yeah. But I was thinking like when I would get off a tour, like I go on the road and every night people are just, it's, you know, it's the best. I mean, part of it's the best part of it's the worst, whatever. But like the idea of playing shows, all that energy that I absorb in me and I've seen you guys play a bunch, like what, I wanted to ask you what your, what's your transitional like routine? Cause when I come back home, like I get, I get this depression and this is just me. I just get this depression and I love being home and I love my family, but it's such a different energy when my kids are like, I don't want a Starbucks this morning before school. Dad. And I'm like, it's like, different to 20,000 people cheering you on. And then somebody screaming at you for a popsicle. It's a very different vibe. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I've spoken to this a few times recently. Uh, I, I've definitely hit that sort of post-tour wall, so to speak, when you, you kind of spend years, years of your life doing this. And it's kind of, you're in this constant up and down of uh, having an adrenaline rush every night, having this onstage interaction with people. And then all of that goes away like that, you know, snap of a finger. And, and it's like you said, you know, you're, you're so excited to be home and you're so stoked to be back in your normal family life, seeing friends catching up. But there's absolutely these moments where you feel these very low lows because it's your body gets used to that rush every night, whatever it may be. And you kind of, yeah, you slip into a bit of an odd space where you don't have that kind of release. And so I personally have had to find other things to sort of channel that, that pent up energy into whether it's exercising or getting into a different activity just or just going outside having a having a routine having a schedule to kind of like align with um because i find personally that when i have no schedule you know when you're on tour you have a day sheet and it tells you where to do where to go what to do and where you need to be and then not having that is just bizarre it leaves you with this sort of sense of emptiness and, and an unfulfilling space to be in and so yeah you do have to kind of navigate that really carefully and um the depression is another big part of it i mean I've, I've certainly sort of slipped into feeling almost very like ungrateful because i'm home i'm with my wife i'm so happy to be here why why am i sad you know what i mean why do i feel down mark and i mark from blink 182 uh got together and did a did a project last year called simple creatures and um 
in that music, we sort of wrote and explored a lot of those topics because him and I were sort of going through similar things at the same time. We were, we both just had great record cycles. I think he had just come off the California cycle that you guys did together and they had like an amazing, amazing two years of touring and Grammy noms and whatever. But then we both discussed the same kind of thing that like we got home and hit this wall of, of weirdness. And that project was a way for us to kind of navigate through those thoughts and feelings together. These Such a good record, man. Holy shit. That record is so fucking good. Oh, you yeah. guys killed it. Oh, I thought you made California, but thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, the Preachers, man. Oh, thank you, dude. Yeah, and, I, and I, I follow both of you guys, so I see all the fan art and all, like, just all of it, man. The bobbleheads, the whole thing. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, funny, it's such man. a People really, and I, I saw you guys, I've seen you guys play twice, man. It's such a cool thing, just the two of you on stage. It's like, uh, it's very, like, I grew up on 80s New Wave, and there's definitely, like, I hear yeah. a lot of that in the yeah. music. It's fucking amazing. Thank you so much. It was fun to do. And it's it's going to continue to be fun to do once we can get back into it and uh, make some more songs. Alexander, I'm curious in that routine, like when you said exercise, is there a specific type of exercise that you like to do? Or do you do and do you do any like meditation or anything like do, do you do anything like that? Um, Old I plunge, anything you, you're, you're into? I have not uh, explored meditation very much, um, if at all. Uh, I... I, you know, bike riding, running, uh, I ride horses. Um, my wife and I recently per like bought a farm in Maryland, which is where, where we live. And, uh, we both grew up riding. Um, and it's always been something we've really loved and are now able to kind of get back into it. So we both have horses here, um, on property. And that's like an amazing sort of vent to sort of channel some positive energy into, cause it's like, a, it's physically really challenging and B you sort of have this weird like psychic connection with this thousand pound creature that they've made a on. therapy out of that it's yeah, called yeah. equine therapy right they're doing it at all the rehabs in malibu now it's really big equine therapy where they connect the people with horses there's something really special and unique going on there they're so. super interesting peaceful creatures and they they do like once you kind of bond with them they have a very uh very good vibe they'll like they'll there's a very cool back and forth that starts to happen i dig it yeah, I think that's fun. super cool. I do this. I, I do this. We do this thing in my program of, you know, not, not drinking is I, uh, we, sometimes we list our fears and yeah. one of my fears is horses, man, they're fucking teeth. They're so square. I just, I, I'm just, I just think they're just going to chomp. Like my, when I was a kid, my mom's like, just hold the apple in your hand <laughs> flat because if you hold it like this, they're going to eat your fingers. And ever since then, I'm like, fuck horses, man. Oh, sorry. I, I was just gonna say I've ridden a few times, and and like I rode in in Utah in the in the canyons, mm -hmm. and it was amazed at how these things can stay like it was like sideways on the canyon on the on the rock, and I was going, oh my god, am I like shaking so nervous? <laughs> yeah. But the horse was just handled it like a boss. I I was amazed by it, and I've ridden in Mexico and a couple other places. I I, I find it to be you know powerful. It's pretty cool. It is, it is cool. I, the, the, I think the biggest takeaway for me is always, A, I just feel so good, like getting out there and doing something. You're in nature and you're like, we ride out a lot. So the trails around here are super fun. And, um, but the other part of it is just, yeah, like this thing, this thousand pound creature that could crush you if it wanted to, like to have that sort of like trust, that level of trust, there's something very rewarding about that. But I was going to say, John, to your point, my horse does this thing where if you do try to give him a snack, he, he will never bite you, but his lips he will put his entire lips like around your hand. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like every single person that goes to feed him is always like, he's going to eat my entire arm. I'm like, he's fine. He's, he won't do it. But yeah, it's weird. It, it is trippy that there is some kind of psychic connection. When I say psychic, not like not, you don't read their minds, but there is a connection that you're having with this <laughs> animal, right? Because yeah. otherwise, how does it know where you want it to fucking go? I mean, I guess you could steer it with your feet and your hands, but there is a like, uh, some sort of c communication that's going on there that's nonverbal. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of body language. A lot of they read your weight. They but they they truly like dogs too. Like if if you're excitable and weird around dogs, the dog's gonna read that vibe. They're they're very similar. I mean, if you're if you're riding and you're nervous about something, that horse is immediately nervous. Uh, they they pick up on all that. They have a very incredible intuition. There there is absolutely a a connection there. I, something 
I think when I was learning to ride very early on, it was always taught to me, like even when I didn't know how to steer or do anything with my legs or, or whatever, um, one of the first lessons I was ever taught was like, always look where you want to be going. And, and because it's like, I think your body language in general just kind of navigates a little bit, which is always interesting. Have you been thrown before? Uh, not in recent years. And I don't, now that I'm 32, I don't want to be thrown. When I was younger, when I was younger riding, I fell off a few times and was okay, but I don't know how okay I would be now. <laughs> so the goal is to not fall. I was just out, I was just out sur um, surfing in, uh, uh, San Simeon and it's really sharky up there. It's cold, tons of seals, a lot of kelp. And the last time I was up there, this woman got it, got uh, her arm bit off by a shark oh. in Cayucas. So it's definitely like sharky shark, but I'm never like, I'm out there. I'm like, whatever. I mean, if this is how I'm supposed to go, I guess I, I probably wouldn't even notice it. You'd probably go in shock so quickly, you know, if yeah. a shark attacked me, but like for some reason, horses and raccoons, I'm like, Nope. Sharks I'm okay with. I, I had a, I used to be cool with raccoons, but then one, when we moved out to LA, actually, um, one attacked my dog. So I'm used to the raccoons on the East coast where they want nothing to do with anybody. If you see one remotely close there, it's probably rabid. So it's like, that's how I grew up. And that's what I've always been taught. Usually they will leave you alone. They'll run away in LA. These motherfuckers are like, they'll steal your lunch money. They don't care. Like they'll sit on your trash cans rooting through it and you go out, you tell them to leave and they, you get two middle fingers. Like, and so we were, I was letting my dog out one night and he runs to the end of the yard and I'm like, Oh God, what's this? And this raccoon, I guess it was a mom and it had babies up in the tree and she just came out and like latched onto his face. And also, you know, my dog gets free and runs away. And then this thing squares up at me for a second. Rather, I'm just like, go back up the tree. I don't want, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Every time we watch Elf, every time that scene, do you need a hug? I'm like, that's the best scene of every, any movie, all time. Like I can, well, I can just rewind it and watch it over and over and over. Um, so JP, the first time I saw All Time Low was, I think it was at the O2 Academy in London. Must have been 10 years ago, you think? Oh yeah. Dirty yeah. Work, was that what you were touring on, I think, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, yeah, eight or nine years, that would be. Yeah, and I was just, you know, I, I, I've always played shows in Southern California playing shows with like Pennywise and Bad, our first tour was with Bad Religion and then Sex Pistols. And it was like, I was, so I know I was so amazed when I saw you and I was like, you guys played Heroes that night and you fucking, call, I was so stoked. You're like, John Feldman's back over there. I was like, yes, yeah, I've made it. I'm in, in London, so London. It was a really great moment. But like what I noticed, like it was the first time I, I went to like a, I mean, I'm, you know, a punk show there was like, the, the, the audience was like split. It was like half girls and half boys. And I was like, why is all my shows all a bunch of bros, you know, <laughs> sunburn Huntington Beach bros, which I, I'm very grateful for. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, right. Very grateful They're like, for. what the fuck, man? But why, you know, like, what do you think, I mean, besides your obviously, you know, handsome, beautiful face and your amazing <laughs> voice, what do you think it is? You know, I, I really can't put a finger on it, to be honest. I've never, truthfully, I've never thought about it too hard. Um, I've always been, whoever wants to listen, I'm happy to have them come and listen and come to the shows. You know, it's like, if we have any fans at all, I'm stoked. Whatever the ratio is, I'm not, I rarely pay attention to it. But um, I don't know. I guess I've never really tried to sit down and quantify what has drawn people to us and, and why. The big thing I've always picked up on is that there's a lot of people in our audiences who are just there to be a part of a positive community, a girl, a boy, or, you know, anywhere in between. I have always found that there's a sense of like wanting to belong at our shows. And I think that we unintentionally at first, we're just able to create a really cool, safe environment for people to come and like forget about everything that was going on outside for a minute. And I think that that has been a sort of, that's the universal message we've always gotten from our fans is that they're like, they're there to come and just forget for a little bit and just like rip it with some friends, uh, friends you don't know, but like everybody in this room is all there for the same reason. So that was sort of a roundabout answer and I didn't really answer the question, but I, I don't know. I, I don't yeah, really know. You know I think, I, I think just, like from an outsider's perspective, like there's these waves of like, it started, I mean, it started super 
just not like with the clash and the sex pistols like political and just you know gnarly i mean it was like you see photos of people shaving one eyebrow and just hair on one side you know all yeah. the kind of gutter punks of the 70s and then it yeah. it kind of moved you know moved into green day and you know i guess green day no effects land which was still like pretty aggressive and i guess i guess comedy came in but but you know when i think about blink and you guys um and uh good charlotte you know i guess the songs became more you know the the hooks just became so big and a lot of you know i guess your music just speaks to such a wide audience because you're such a fucking prolific songwriter Thanks, and your man. voice is just inc incredible and i guess molded, that's part of it molded by people like you and and you so thank you for getting me where i am now but um yeah i think i think that I, one of the things with all time low is that we've always been very melodic we've always tried to have big catchy choruses um and i think you know that's like you said, I think at a certain point, punk rock kind of shifted in, in a certain way. And it was like, it wasn't about fast, loud, rebellious, anti. It was, it was at least when we sort of started getting influenced by the bands we were influenced by, there was a lot of pop sensibility in, in what was happening. And so I've, I've always looked at us as like a pop rock band. I've never like, people have labeled us punk, pop punk, pop rock, whatever. I've, you know, I've always adopted my two favorite things into this, into what we do. And that's fast, loud music with guitars and really, really catchy pop, like in sync, you know, melodies. That's, that's the two things that I love. Like I love Michael Jackson, Madonna. I've always wanted to sort of marry that into playing loud and fast, which is what we grew up doing, you know, emulating Goldfinger, Blink, No FX all the bands that we loved on those punkorama CDs and the Tony Hawk soundtracks and shit. <laughs> Dude, it's so classic how that's come around full circle, man. It's Wild. like Tony Hawk just made a movie called pretending I'm a Superman, which is like, yeah, I guess I've got to be, um, I've got to be honored that he called the, the, his movie after my song. So sick. So sick. It is pretty fucking rad. Yeah. I was thinking, I was just thinking about my sort of, when I tour now, my daily routine has really shifted since when I, you know, when I first started touring when I was like 22 versus now that I'm 52. It's just like I have to do things now that I never had to do. You know, when I wake up, like I have to stretch before shows or the next day, like my bang over is like so <laughs> brutal. My neck, you know, that feeling you get where you have to crack it, but it never, yeah. you can't even move it because it's so like brutalized. It's like, I have to stretch and my diet on the road has to be so pristine. Like, I don't know about you, but like these days I wake up, I'm like cold shower because my whole body is, I mean, I'm much older than you. So maybe I have to do, I probably have to do more things, but it's like, I don't know. Like, real, what are you man. doing? What are you doing for that daily routine shit? It's very real. I mean, I think back to the days that we were touring in a van and driving ourselves around the country and stopping at truck stops with like splitting I don't know, the 50 bucks that we had left over after we filled the tank from the show the night before and just grabbing as much shitty food as we could. It was like, it was disgusting, like what we used to live on. And we felt fine doing it. It was like you would heat up like a cup of noodle, which is just a bag of salt. No offense, because I love, I still love them to this day, but um, they are like horrible for you. And uh, yeah, like McDonald's and just, filling our bodies with absolute trash, but still somehow managing to get up on stage every night. And I guess we were sweating it out at the time. But um, yeah, I mean, like we're, we're all pretty good on the road. We, uh, we don't require much. Like it's, it's, we try to stay pretty healthy, water, coffee, and a little bit of booze. We're, we're all still drinkers. Um, so we, we enjoy some wine on the road. Uh, but like, there's a, there's a thing that changes in us. And now it's like the party is not quite the same party that it was 10 years ago. We, we do it with getting up the next day and like feeling okay to play the show in mind. If you have that one extra beer, you're like, all right, this show's going to suck. I don't know. Like we, one of the things that we've always been really good about is eating well on tour in recent years. We like, are, we always push pretty hard to like, if there's catering, we try to have pretty solid catering, basic stuff. That's not gross. And like, we don't get a whole lot of snacks or gross junk it's just water and coffee and and like some some healthy shit 
there's nothing worse than feeling terrible and playing a show. That's what I will, you know, it's that you can't do it. You can't sustain. If you feel awful every day and have to go out there and rip a two hour set, it sucks. So you, you have to adapt like as your body changes and you get older. And I mean, yeah, there's a difference now than when I was 22, you know, it's, I feel like we were invincible back then. Unless you're Keith, unless you're Keith Richards, right? <laughs> yeah, and then it's just like, he's the know. anomaly. The dude runs on heroin, I think, but hey. Yeah. You, see, you see that picture with uh, everyone in the Rolling Stones has a Corona mask on except for Keith. He's like just hanging out. So Fuck fucking yeah. Fun. That's amazing. That dude's going to outlive us all, man. There's a great oh, picture dude. of him next to Mick where Mick's on the treadmill. He brings a treadmill with him on tour and Keith is sitting next to the treadmill smoking in a chair, right? Like they're just sitting there together. I love it so much, man. It's 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 very few and far between, but there's those people every now and then that just I think at a certain point their body just pickles, and it's like they're they become immortal from then on. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it, it feels like your band. You, you guys have been the same guys since pretty much high school, right? Yeah, we started in 2003. We started playing like covers of Anti Flag in Ryan's basement. Um, and then, yeah, 2006, we graduated, signed to Hopeless Records and got on the Warp Tour and we've been doing it ever since. Wow. Yeah. And you're, and it feels like, cause I, I've had, I've had a couple members change and a couple of them go, leave and come back. It's like one of the guys in my band, this one time we were probably doing, you know, in the, in the bus going like 80 down the freeway. And, and I just, I woke up to the, you know, you know, when you hit the bumps, when you're changing oh. lanes in the bus and you're like, oh, is this the end? Is this the end? The and, then you, and, and then we, we were hitting the bumps for like probably 30 seconds. Like, and I'm like, fuck, fuck. And I look out and I see an ex member of my band holding the bus driver's head as he's driving, just punching him on the side of his head. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm trying to pull him off. And it's like, it's so amazing to watch your band where I don't feel like you've had to deal with any of your, anyone in your band beating no. up the bus driver. No, never. Uh, we've been fortunate in that none of our members have ever attacked the bus driver while driving. Um, holy shit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've always been very cognizant of one another. And we've always treated this thing like um, nobody was expendable and nobody was like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just so-and-so. Like, they don't really bring any value to this thing. So what they think doesn't matter. Like we've always been very, first of all, everybody does fucking matter in this band. Like it's, it's without one member, we would not be all time low. It's, it's, that's something that we decided very, very early on. Um, and two, like we just, we're brothers. Like at the end of the day, you know, you fight with your family sometimes. And even when it's bad, you still acknowledge at the end of the day that it's like, okay, this is my family. Like I'm not, it's not going to fall apart. We're going to figure out how to work through this. And I think everybody's always been given a voice and a platform when they've needed it. And I think that's always kept us pretty level and looking out for one another and trying to reach out and be like, Hey, do you feel like you've been heard? Do you feel like you've, your, your thought process has been understood in all of this? And I think that's just always kept us a really close and be able to work through things and see, um, just excited to be doing it. Like there's no, we're not doing it with any kind of like resentment for the guy stage right or stage left or whatever you know it's it's i think that's really valuable and really important we've i've seen a lot of bands come and go um through a lot through our time being a band and um you know i think members dropping in and out a lot of the time it is unfortunately lack of communication and like just feelings getting hurt and egos getting in the way of repairing those hurt feelings you know it's it's uh and that goes with you know that extends to life that's not just a band thing but it's hyper-focused on us because the four of us have been doing business together, air quotes, for 16 years now. You wow. guys, all you guys are so fucking awesome. Your whole band, man, you are Glad very, dudes. yeah, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like you guys are a family. When I see you guys all together, it just feels like that, you know, because I'm sober and I um, made a choice to not drink. Sometimes for me, it's challenging. Have you ever had to deal with like um, any of that shit, like just addiction and um, I mean, in my personal life, yes. I mean, my, my, uh, my half brother, uh, was struggled with alcoholism until he passed away, um, in his pretty too young. I mean, nobody should pass away from alcoholism, but he was very, very young as well. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty close to my life. Um, but f very fortunately, uh, 
it has not affected the band. Um, I think we've all had our moments where, you know, someone's partying a little too hard or going a little too far down the road of like, or just too much, you know, like the habitual drinking gets, it gets too easy. And I'm sure, you know, like when you're on tour, that shit's around all the time, you know, you, you get a rider every day and it's bottles of wine and liquor and beer and it's free, you know, and, and it's, it, it becomes too easy sometimes. And you do every, every now and then have to check in with how you're doing and is it becoming an unhealthy habit or are you still able to kind of manage it and navigate it in a way that is not getting in the way of your life? Um, and I think that's when it becomes problematic. And, and, you know, as you said, it's everybody's, everybody's sort of on their own journey and it's kind of like for some people, they get to a point and it's time to time to bow out. Like I said, we've, we've been fortunate that no one has kind of come into any sort of like real issues with, with any of that. Um, and we were all pretty like, I'll be honest, like none of us are, have ever really been like into drugs or anything. Like we, we drink, smoke a little weed, but no one's ever been like, you know, going much further than that. And I think that's always been a good thing for us is that, you know, nothing's ever come off the rails in that way. So we've been fortunate. I didn't know that about your half brother, man. I'm really sorry. That's, that's oh, tragic. Thanks, man. Yeah, it sucks, man. It's, it was very sad and really tough on my family, but, um, you know, I was, I was pretty young and I didn't, you know, I, I think it was very traumatizing at the time, but I also don't think I fully understood it. Um, and that's something that I've kind of like come to terms with as I've gotten older and wrap my head around it a bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's anyone that's going through it, whether it's themselves or whether it's someone close, uh, it's a struggle for everybody involved. Um, you know, because you, you, you hate to be seeing someone go through a struggle like that. And I, I know that's how it was for my family. So yeah, it's rough, but, uh, he's, you know, I'm glad he's not hurting. That's all I would say now. It changes the dynamic of the house, don't you think? Like how how you were raised after that. It changes the dynamic in there with, with your mother and your father and everything kind of going on. And were they over overly protective of you after that? Or how did that how did that go for you? I was very lucky in that my parents handled it really, really well. I mean, as best, you know, at least in regards to me. I don't know how well you can handle your child passing away, but it's um, got to be the worst thing there is yeah, to go through. Yeah, there's nothing, exactly. there's nothing I can imagine that's worse. I have two no, children. Absolutely not. No, but they, they did not let it interfere with my development. And I'm very grateful for that. They were always very sensitive to what I was thinking and feeling when I was thinking and feeling those things. They were always very encouraging of my, my goals and pursuits and, and how I wanted to think and feel my way through things. Um, and whenever I wanted to talk about that kind of stuff, they were there and they were very open about it. And it was, it was easy. It created a, a platform of like comfort where I was never like, I didn't feel like I had to shield myself from it, which I think oftentimes, you know, can lead to some, you know, darker mental places. So yeah, I was lucky. Yeah. I mean, I think I, there's been times in my life, when I was really dark and suicidal, especially in my teens. And uh, you know, this is the amazing thing about music. I think music saved my life at that time. And I think a lot of people feel that way, that music saved their yeah. life. If you, can, if you can find a band or certain songs that you connect to and you can feel like you're not alone with whatever it is you're feeling at that time. That's what I love about music is it's, it literally fucking saved my life. I, I, you know, I wanted to kill myself and then I would put on certain songs and listen to them and, uh, and it felt better. You know, it made, literally made me feel better. I think the it's Spice, a universe, was it the Spice Girls. Yeah, <laughs> it was the Spice Girls and Snoop Dogg. No. If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. Um, yeah, it wasn't like, fucking Goldfinger, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Appreciate Woo! it. <laughs> love it, love it. I don't know. It's interesting, man. It's like it's a it's a universal language, and I think it's a it's a voice for people that don't have someone to talk to. I think that's what's really interesting about music is that it it kind of it can be that like hand on your shoulder as cheesy as that sounds. It's, it's a, it's a comforting thing always has been. I mean, since, since time was time and music was music, I think it's always been a, a therapeutic thing for, for people. Yeah. I work out to Slipknot. I cook to Coldplay and um, yeah, I, I've got my regimen of what I like music that I have throughout the day and what I listen to. It's amazing. You know, I listen to new music Friday when I'm driving I mean, LA can be such a fucking gnarly 
competitive, crazy place to be, you know, where I feel like I've got to, like, whatever, there's so many talented people here and so much, so much to kind of do and like sessions and all this shit. Like, should I be buying a farm in Maryland? Yes. If you, I, li I live in Bend, Oregon and I love oh, it. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. Hell yeah. If you feel so inclined, I mean, I, I very much felt a calling to come back to Maryland and, and simplify a little bit and take a step back. I, um, I can only speak from personal experience, but LA just wasn't really for me. And I think it was because it put me in a mindset of, um, unhealthy pressure on myself. And you spoke to it a little bit, but that like uh, sort of an unnecessary level of competition that I felt like wasn't really doing me any good. It was just unnecessary to think that way and to be in that mindset sometimes. And I find that here I am able to kind of rationalize those thoughts and feelings a little bit more and disconnect with them when I need to. Uh, which is also very good. Um, you know, I can shift gears and kind of when I, when I want to focus and buckle down and be creative and, and make the thing that I think is the shit for our next record, I can get in that frame of mind, but I can also much more easily remove myself from it and not feel like I'm losing a step on everyone around me, which I think is the big, the grand illusion in, in Los Angeles is that there's a lot of people. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying this to talk shit because every, you know, it, it's, I think it's also very inspiring to see everybody out there uh, kind of pursuing their dreams. And I think it's amazing that that place, LA, cultivates that. But um, there is a lot of like, and I've seen it in, in friends and, and people I know, there is a lot of pressure to just always be doing. And like, what's the person in the apartment next door doing that I'm not doing? Are they, do they have a, a more socially engaged TikTok than I do? Shit, I got to step it up. And it's like, it's such an unnecessary way of living because I just think it eats away at you. At least it did for me. And so it was, uh, it was. Are you doing TikTok? I, dude, we have, uh, we have a banned TikTok now because of the quarantine. Uh, we're just trying to find more and more ways to sort of engage and, and all of us live all over the place, by the way. So I'm, I'm in Maryland, Jackson, LA, uh, Zach is in Hawaii, excuse me. <clears throat> and our drummer Ryan is in Nashville. So, we are all like, we're fucked. Like we can't get together and record a song together for people. Like we have to do everything remotely. So yeah, we, we are trying to understand TikTok, but I feel like this is the first time, honestly, that we have felt like generationally, we don't get something. Like my band was always very on the edge of like when the online stuff started happening, like pure volume, MySpace, all those things, we were right in it. We got it right away. We were some of the first bands to have profiles on those things. And like it, those things were responsible for lifting us up as a band. And then we, you know, easy transition into Twitter, easy transition into Instagram. It all made sense. And TikTok is definitely the first one where we're all looking at each other like, I don't fucking get this. I don't get it. I can pinpoint the moment in my life where I first felt old and it was touring with Good Charlotte. And I grew up, I grew up with bands where they, you know, go, concerts, people had lighters and they'd put lighters, they'd hold lighters yeah. up at the concert. And I walked out of the back with Good Charlotte and people were holding up phones. And that was the <laughs> moment in my life where I first felt old that I'll never forget it as long as I was like, oh my God, this is an old, old person's moment. And uh, my, my daughter has like 120,000 TikTok followers. It's like, she is like, got it wired, man. It's crazy. And, and she just knows I mean, my daughter's 11. She knows when to post, how much to post, who to post with. It's like the whole thing. It's like a job. I mean, she really treats it like a job. She's like an entrepreneurial young lady and it's, it's great to watch. And then the, the other side of it is like, you're talking about the apartment next to you. Like who's yeah. the guy next to you on their story. That's like, because I mean, the, the truth is that I, for me, because my, my brain, my default brain, sets to it's it's never going to work out i'm going to lose what i have not get what i want i've got like a this like i, I go to sleep positive and then mm. i wake up with this negative voice it's like it's not going to work out so i have to constantly be saying like i say i love my life out loud whether i mean it or i don't i say it to take that contrary action i jump in the pool that's 52 degrees not because i'm like i'm stoked to do it i just i want to change my brain chemistry you know, and sometimes I get on Instagram and I'm like, everyone, because we're not telling the truth 100% of the time that everything's always great, you know, but it's like when I say negative stuff, I feel negative and I don't want to do that to myself. Well, it becomes a self-affirming 
cycle. You know, if you're if you're feeling down and then you start playing into it, you, it's very hard to get out of it. And uh, sometimes that is what it takes. It takes sort of insisting on the contrary, even if you don't necessarily feel that way, to at least begin to put a foot in the right direction. And that's kind of going back to the, you know, take a breath. It's just chemicals. That was that was literally that same sentiment right there. It was it was me. I, I didn't know if it was going to work. And obviously just breaking it down to saying, take a breath. It's just chemicals. That's a pretty big fucking oversimplification of of everything. But at the same time, it can be a useful tool to just get yourself on the right path of trying to change the way you're feeling. If you're feeling down. I, I was lucky enough to meet Tony Robbins and do and go to his seminars and do his work. And that's what he calls a state change. You have an emotion, you're in an emotional state, which is depression or anger or whatever, and you can shift your state. And how do you shift your state? Whether you jump in the cold plunge or you take a breath or you start saying affirmations like John's talking about, I love my life, right? And you start to bring the emotion in when you say it. Cause if you sit there and you go, I love my life, I love my life, your brain goes, it's bullshit. Doesn't that's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. You have to actually get it in physically in your body to change it chemically in your brain. So you have to start to really go, I love my life. I love my life, which is how Feldy does it. So I'll have hundred people, 200 people in the room stand up on their feet and go, I love my life. I love my life and scream and look up. And I go, look around the room after just saying that five times, everyone's smiling. Everyone's in a different, I go, everyone's mood is just completely changed. Look at all the smiles on everyone's face. Just by saying that five times, I prove it in a room. Absolutely. I think that's something that we still, I mean, I, I can barely speak to this from any place of knowledge, but, um, you know, I think that's something that we really misunderstand or still don't understand about the human psyche and how it corresponds to our body chemistry, brain chemistry, and our subconscious. You know, if you, if that voice in, in your subconscious is the thing that's being negative and saying, I fucking hate my life, you know, screaming back at it can help. And it can, and it, it, it's all connected. I don't understand how it's connected fully. And I don't think anybody does yet, but there, there is absolutely a, a correlation between body, mind, subconscious, conscious, all of it. It's all connected. No, but you know, to go back to the earlier talk where we were talking about LA, like, you know, I moved to Bend, Oregon two years ago now, and I was in LA for 23 years. And before that I was in, I grew up in Boston for 23 years. And I felt that competition, that thing all the time, you know, not even being in the music business, but as a meditation, as a breathwork teacher, I felt that competition and that thing. And it That's was hard. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a weird place. And to just see how some people live in such, it's, I didn't want my kids to grow up with all that excess. I just, I wanted them to have a more normal life in nature. I mean, no one has this shit figured out. Nobody has life like wired. And it's like, you know, I, I don't, I think we're all just doing the best we can to figure it out. And you know, and your wife is so incredible. I mean, Lisa's doing she all right. Incredible. Yeah, she's doing great, man. I mean, both of us are, are pretty heavily affected by everything that's going on right now. My wife is an event planner. Um, she does weddings uh, and, you know, a lot of corporate nonprofit stuff. And so obviously all of that right now is, is on hold as well. So we're sort of both navigating this weird time together, essentially unemployed. Um, and yeah, it's strange. It's really strange. But, you know, what's great is that she also has an incredible head on her shoulders and is... Uh, an extremely positive sounding board in my life. Somebody that I can, when I'm feeling strange and doubtful of my own shit, uh, she is very good to sort of pull me back in the right direction and balance me out. And um, we just, we've known each other for so long, which also really helps. Like we, we we're best friends first and foremost, you know? So it's like, that is always great that I can, we can talk to one another uh, very openly and honestly in a way that's like, you know, there's just, it's, it's, she, she's my buddy. You know, it's like, it's funny to say, but like she, she's a friend. So. Yeah. There's an author, Brene Brown, who's an amazing author. And, and she's, she talks about everybody is literally doing the best they can. And, yes. and, and sometimes you want to go like, really, that's the fucking best you got. Like that's really the best you got with certain people. And, right. but it is, I mean, I don't think people are purposely being shitty, but it feels that way sometimes because we're bumping up against our stuff with their stuff. And it doesn't work out. Certain things don't work out, but everybody really is doing the best they can in every moment, you know? And uh, if we can recognize that and go, you know what? It's like, this doesn't feel good, this interaction I'm having with this person, but they're doing the best they can. Like that might just shift the situation in the, in the dialogue and the discussion. 
it's those ripping it's those ripping the band-aid off moments you know it's like this is this conversation going to be awkward and tough for the next hour maybe is it going to suck for a day while we navigate through what we've just talked about maybe but is it ultimately going to lead to a much healthier more beneficial place down the line absolutely so it's like and i think it's it's so hard to when you're in it sometimes it's so hard to see a week down the line or a month down the line or a year down the line when that stuff is all very much in the past and resolved in a, in a good, healthy way. Uh, it's much easier to just be like, I'd rather not rip the bandaid off because it feels good now. But that's, I think that's something that I've at least in more recent years really challenged myself to try and, uh, deal with and, and accept that those uncomfortable moments are necessary in, in kind of, you know, addressing things and, and having them play out the way you would want them to play out. Well, before we let you go, man, I just, how many animals do you have on this farm? Is it only <laughs> about the goats? Like what else you got out there? Dude, we we're all in, man. We, so we have two horses. Uh, we got three goats, six chickens and our two dogs. So that's where we're at right now. We're looking, we're, I want to rescue a donkey. That's the next thing. <laughs> there you go. What kind there of dogs do you have? I have a, we have a pit mix uh, and we have a little Papillon, a little fluffy guy. So no like sheep dogs that are hurting your goats or anything like that. Well, we're going to find this out, but our, our pit mix is, uh, so he's half, we had his DNA tested. He's like half Staffordshire Terrier, which is just what they call pit bulls um, and half Australian cattle dog. So he, I think he's going to have a little bit of that, like wanting to nip at their heels and get them to go places he wants them to go. We'll see. We haven't really put them together too much yet because the goats are fucking terrified of the dogs right now. Um, but as they get a little bigger, we'll probably let them hang out and see what happens. Nice. Well, dude, this <laughs> is wild. so fun, man. Dude, thank you so much, Alex. I love you, buddy. Thanks You're for having me on, man. This is great. Yeah, man. It's a really it was a great cool conversation. You. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, nice amazing. to see you, man. Thanks, John. Yeah, honestly, dude, I, I really, I don't often get to have extensive conversations like this uh because a lot of the time when i do podcasts or interviews or anything it's mostly centered around my band and the music so it's pretty cool to have a, a talk with some good dudes about some other shit so thank you thank you man y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcast